Welcome to the weekly sermon podcast for the Wilmington, Ohio Church of Christ. We pray that this message will inspire you and help you grow closer to God in your faith. Be sure to stick around after the message to find out more about how you can take your next best step. Enjoy the message. There are two different ways how this story is told, and I'm not sure which one is true or not, but it involves two preachers, uh, famous preachers from the past, Dwight Moody and Charles Spurgeon. The story goes like this, first story goes like this, uh, Dwight Moody, who was a big-time preacher in Chicago, preached to thousands and thousands and thousands of people in his congregation, uh, got to go to England uh, to preach at Charles Spurgeon's church. They'd never met before, and uh, Dwight Moody knocks on Spurgeon's door, and Spurgeon opens the door, smoking his, what he's known for, his cigar. And Dwight Moody had just preached a sermon about the, the sin of smoking in Chicago before he went to England. And he said, how in the world could a man of God be caught smoking? And Spurgeon looked at Moody and said, how can a man of God get so fat? Punching bag. We get to use people as punching bags, right? That's what Christianity is all about. The other story goes like this, that uh, Moody meets Spurgeon, and Spurgeon invites him to preach at his church. And during the message, Moody preaches on the sin of smoking and how no one who's a faithful follower of Christ would smoke. And Spurgeon shouts from the back, Moody, I'll put down my cigars when you put down your fork. See, we are not called as Christians to use each other as a punching bag. We're called by God to be other-focused, revealing the kingdom of God, righteousness, peace, and joy. Today, as we continue our Peacemaker series, we're going to look at how we, as followers of Christ, can reveal the kingdom of God, righteousness, peace, and joy by following two principles of love found in Romans chapter 14. Let's pray. Lord, we ask that you would transform us today by the scripture we are going to read and take apart and then apply in our lives. Lord, would you transform us by your Holy Spirit so that we would be peacemakers in your kingdom, following the example set by Christ following the instructions you give us in Scripture, and transformed inwardly by the Holy Spirit to take on the character of Jesus Christ. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. There are two principles of love found in Romans chapter 14 and just the first part of chapter 15 that we're going to look at today. And I do want to read it before we get to that, a little housekeeping. This is the third part in a four-part sermon series of Peacemakers. We started in Romans 12, which it revealed that we can love people even if we disagree with them. That's one of the ways that we're going to be peacemakers. Romans 14, we began last week, and God calls those who are strong in faith, who know that Jesus Christ saves us and gets us into heaven by our faith in him, calls those who are stronger in faith to accept and help those who are weaker in faith. And we discussed what that meant between the weak and strong. Today's challenge is, again, to those who are strong in faith. And we're going to look at how some scripture teaches, excuse me, teaches us not to provide a stumbling block for those who are weaker. Before I get to that, though, I do need to point out something that I misspoke last week. 
I drew this picture in second hour on the board, and I started talking about things that are essential to our faith are the things that we need to argue for. Essential to our faith. These are things like um, the death of Jesus Christ for our sin, his burial, and after three days, rising from the dead. That's essential. And then I said, you know, there's something, you know, a little bit further out from the essentials for salvation, there's something like historical Christian orthodoxy. That means right way of thinking about the scripture and about Jesus. Jesus was both God and man. That's historical Christian orthodoxy. Another is something we teach, but it's a word not found in the Bible, called the Trinity. God is three in one. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, but it's one God. And we teach that. And then there's um, historical uh, denominational orthodoxy I mentioned. And then there were things that were important, but maybe not essential. And then there were some things that are just not important to fight about. And here's what I said, and this is where I misspoke. I said, we shouldn't argue about the birth of Jesus Christ, but I misspoke. I was trying to hurry. I, I should have said the birth date of Jesus Christ, because we all know he was born on March 4th. But those are things that we shouldn't argue about. And, and, I, and I was called out by three people. They said, Dale, you said the birth of Christ. That's something really important. I, I meant to say the birth date of Christ. That's not something we should argue about. And now here's the thing. Why did only three people call me on that? You guys need to take better notes. Your responsibility as the church is to make sure the people that stand in front of you teach the scripture accurately. And so if you hear something that's inaccurate, a little off, you need to call us out on that. And I'm so thankful for those three people who were not falling asleep, and I'll try to do better to keep you awake today. Romans chapter 14, and a little bit of 15. Let's look at how we can reveal the kingdom of God, and what I'd like to do, um, this is a little bit of a long passage to read, but what I'd like to do is read 13 all the way to the end of 14, and just the first couple of verses of chapter 15. And the the scripture is so beautiful, Um, it not only teaches us the way of Christ, and how to be in Christ, and how to grow in Christ, but the way it's structured is beautiful too. Um, it, it has to be inspired. It is so, it, it has such beauty. The main point of chapter 14 is right in the middle. The structure of 14, it, it starts with like a topic and it ends with a similar topic, judgment, judging yourself. And then it, it teaches we should, we should watch out for our brothers, protect our brothers and sisters in Christ, and we should look for opportunities to teach them. And right in the middle, it, it repeats that at the top and the bottom of the chapter. And right in the middle, Paul says the most important thing is the kingdom of God, righteousness, peace, and joy. And that's the structure. It's just beautiful. But in it, it, he explains in great detail how we should protect one another in Christ. Not use each other, excuse me, not use each other as a punching bag or a stumbling stone, something to trip over. Here's what 13 says. Therefore, Therefore, since God has accepted your brother in Christ, therefore, since Jesus is who makes us clean, therefore, since we are called to love, therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in your brother's way. Now, he says there, it's kind of cool, stop passing judgment on one another, and then he uses the same judgment word in make up your mind, judge yourself. 
I like how he does that. As one who is in the Lord Jesus, I am fully convinced that no food is unclean in itself. But if anyone regards something as unclean, then for him it is unclean. If your brother is distressed because of what you eat, you are no longer acting in love. Do not, do not, by your eating, destroy your brother for whom Christ died. Do not allow what you consider good to be spoken of as evil. Here's the central point. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Because anyone who serves Christ in this way is pleasing to God and approved by men. Then he repeats what he just said. Let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and mutual edification. Teaching. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. All food is clean, but it's wrong for man to eat anything that causes somebody else to stumble. It's better not to eat meat or drink wine or to do anything else that will cause your brother to fall. Watch out for your brother. So whatever you believe about these things, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the man who does not judge, condemn himself by what he approves. But the man who has doubts is condemned if he eats, because his eating is not from faith. And everything that does not come from faith is a sin. Chapter 15, we who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Each of us should please his neighbor for his good to build him up. For even Christ did not please himself, but it is written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. This is the word of God. Our first point to bring out the kingdom of God, righteousness, peace, and joy, is to protect one another, body build. Now, one of the ways that we do that is we need to judge ourselves. Stop passing judgment on a brother, but judge yourself first. Here's how you judge yourself. We need to look and see if the actions that we are doing, maybe we are strong in faith. And Paul is talking about those who are strong in faith, who know Jesus has cleansed us and cleans us and by grace keeps us clean. And those who are weak in faith, it's Jesus plus something else. I gotta do something else to stay clean. God says, Paul says, God accepts both of those brothers in Christ. But he does make a judgment call. Those who are weaker in faith are going to need to grow up so it's Christ alone who cleanses us. And those who are stronger in faith should help those who are weaker in faith. And the first way that we can help is we judge ourselves. Is what you are doing causing distress or a stumbling block to your brother or sister's faith? A stumbling block. We, we, set up, we set up warnings all the time. Wet floor signs. You ever seen those? It's because they don't want you to slip and fall. Caution tape. Have you seen that? It's because you don't want somebody to step where they're not supposed to step and then fall. Road flares. When truckers pull over and they need to work on their car and it's in the middle, it's dusk or late, they put up road flares so no one hits their vehicle. It's a warning system. So we have to have a warning system built into our spiritual life to keep people from having a spiritual stumbling stone. Listen to the words Paul uses to describe what will happen if we, by our freedom, because we're stronger in faith, and we recognize that smoking or not smoking doesn't give us salvation. And we recognize what we eat or what we don't eat doesn't give us salvation or how much we eat. Now, it might be a sin, but it's not going to keep us out of heaven. And it might be bad for us, but it won't keep us out of heaven because what keeps us in and out of heaven is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Our faith in Christ keeps us in or out of heaven. 
So we have to watch out. If we think we have freedom because we know we're clean in Christ, we have to watch out that we don't put a spiritual stumbling stone in the path of our brothers and sisters that they will not see because they don't have strong faith as we do. And listen to the strong words Paul uses. If your brother is distressed because of what you eat, you are no longer acting in love. Do not by your eating destroy your brother for whom Christ died. Paul says the spiritual stumbling block that these Christians were putting in front of their brothers and sisters was enough to make them stumble in their faith and destroy their own faith. That's a scary thing. See, the strong in faith have a greater responsibility. He continues. He says the same thing um, after his main point, the kingdom of God. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. All food is clean, but it's wrong for a man to eat anything that causes someone else to stumble. It's better not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything else that will cause your brother to, to fall. The Christian freedom that they had might become a spiritual stumbling block to somebody weak in faith. I'll give you an example, modern-day example. There's a church in Atlanta called North Point. And when COVID hit, all these different various reports came in on how to best protect yourself from COVID. And depending on which news station you watched, depended on what side of this huge spectrum you would fall on. And we had a tendency as Christians to use other Christians as a punching bag if they didn't agree with our stance on that entire spectrum. It turns out there is some right and wrong on that spectrum on like what was actually safe and what was not safe. It turns out that when they shut down the subway system in New York City and cleaned all the subway cars, that's not bad in itself, but the the physical cleaning of the surface of those cars didn't really prevent COVID from happening because it was mostly airborne and touch didn't turn out to be that dangerous or that contagious. So they probably didn't need to shut down the subways to make them sanitary because they weren't going to get COVID that way. They were going to get COVID from breathing. There's a church in Atlanta called North Point, And here's what their leadership decided to do. They said, we care more about those who are weak in faith than we do about being right. And they said, there are some people who are weak in faith that they believe, they really believe this. It's a wrong belief, but they believe this. They believe that if we gather as a large group, we are going to be killing people. So they stopped gathering as a large group for a year. And it wasn't because they had bad science and it wasn't because they had bad beliefs. It's because they were watching out for the people who were not yet all the way trusting Christ. So that church still met in small groups. They still served the city of Atlanta. They had online worship for their church to gather online. But they decided not to gather as a large gathering. 5,000 people, 7,000 people, 3,000 people. They said, we're not going to do that. Listen again. It's not because they believed the large group gathering was going to kill more people. It's because those who were weak in faith believed the large gathering was going to kill people. And they were trying to bring those who were weak 
closer to Christ gently without creating something that would make them fall. And those who were strong in that church or were supposed to have strong faith, they started using that leadership as their punching bag. Here's what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. If I speak in the tongues of men and in the language of angels, but have not love, I'm only a resounding gong or clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and I have faith that can move mountains, but have not love, I'm nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my bodies to the flame like a martyr, but have not love, I gain nothing. I think the leadership of North Point did the right thing for those who were weaker. And those who were stronger in their faith, and they maybe had better science, and maybe they were right in their opinions, they did not act in love. And so what the world saw was a church divided by anger and resentment instead of seeing the love of Jesus Christ. Instead of seeing the kingdom of God come out of them. Instead of seeing righteousness, peace, and joy, they saw anger, bitterness, resentment, name-calling, and worse. So Paul says... If you're strong in faith, and there isn't anybody I meet who, doesn't, who wants to be called those who are weak in faith, he says you have a greater responsibility to judge yourself on whether you're providing a spiritual stumbling stone for somebody who's weaker. He says those who are stronger in faith have to act. I know this is going to be a surprise for all of us. We who are strong in faith have to act like Jesus. Because didn't Jesus sacrifice some of his freedoms to save some who were weaker? Didn't Jesus lay down his strength and make himself low so he could lift up those people who are already low? Didn't Jesus become human? He added humanity to his godhood. And didn't he make himself like a slave? And didn't he lower himself even to death? So he could protect us. Paul says, those who are strong in faith, if you're going to be the kingdom of God, righteousness, peace, and joy, then you have to watch out for those who are weaker in faith. And you need to judge whether what you're doing is distressing them or not. My mom, I think she's maybe coming around this. Um, she believes something along the lines of, if a single drop of alcohol passes my lips, I'll go to hell. 
The kingdom of God is not about drinking or eating. It's about righteousness, peace, and joy. But I got to watch out for those who are weaker in faith. So there is no glass of wine when my mom is around because it makes her stumble. Some of you just went, what did he just say? There's another way you have to judge yourself, and it comes at the end of this passage that we just read, the end of Romans 14, 14, 23, I'm sorry, 22. This is another way we have to judge ourselves. Whatever you believe about these things, keep between yourself and God. We're going to come back to that in just a second. Blessed is the man who does not condemn himself by what he approves. Now, that's kind of a hard hard way to say, make sure that what you approve in your freedom, God hasn't already called a sin. Because we have great freedom in Christ. And our determination on whether we go to heaven or not is based on our faith in Christ. But make sure God hasn't said something is a sin that you're now calling I have freedom in it. So if you're saying, well, I know that I can get into heaven because Christ forgives me so I can go on and sin as much as I want to do, Paul says that's not the way Christianity is supposed to work. You're actually going to be blessed if the freedom that you embrace and you enjoy isn't something God has already called a sin. Don't do the sin just because you're saved by Christ. We have to judge ourselves in two ways. One, make sure you're not distressing your weaker brother or sister in faith. And two, make sure your freedom is not already a sin. Our stance on alcohol as a church is, uh, maybe, maybe you don't know this, but our elders wrote a paper several years ago, you know, and they looked through Scripture, and they, they basically came up with the idea that it is always safer not to consume any alcohol. But it's not a sin to consume alcohol, but it is a sin to get drunk. And it is a sin, they said, to make yourself not in your right mind. So you have to be careful. And you need to judge, blessed are you if what you approve is not what God has already called a sin. And then Paul says this crazy thing. Whatever you believe about these things, keep between yourself and God. I keep going back to that COVID year where I wonder how much stress I could have avoided and I wonder how much peace I could have brought if I just kept my mouth shut sometimes instead of telling people all the opinions I had about viruses, which I know nothing about, and about medical care, which I know nothing about, and about politics, which you know, we all know I'm an expert on politics. Paul says, protect the body. Doesn't this play over straight into our political realm? What if we were more concerned about the welfare of someone across from us than we were about being right? And we used whatever we could to help somebody step to Christ. We can be a stumbling block or a stepping stone. And Paul says those who are strong in faith should be the stepping stone to Christ. We have to protect the body. We have to bodyguard. Number two, we have to build up the body. And this is the hardest part, I think. This is chapter 15. Paul's continuing the same conversation. Here's how you 
reveal the kingdom of God. Righteousness, peace, and joy. Here's how you reveal it. It's through principles of love. Protect the body. And number two, body build. Build up the body. We who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Each of us should please his neighbor for his good to build him up. For even Christ did not please himself, but it is written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. If Christ is willing to take our punishment, then it's an easy thing for those of us who are strong in our faith to give up a little bit of our pleasure so we can build somebody's faith. If Christ was willing to sacrifice everything, then it's not too big an ask for those who are in Christ to sacrifice little things. Especially when it comes to building up the body. We who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Each of us should please his neighbor for his good, to build him up. I, 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 I hesitate to say this. Uh, number one, because it makes me look bad. And number two, because I'm not wanting to call anybody out for weak faith. So let me see how I can do this. I have not always acted with sensitivity. When I know I'm right about Scripture. And because I haven't always acted with sensitivity, I've hurt people's faith. Oh, I'll give you an example. This cross behind me on the wall is made out of the pews from the original building. So for some people, it has become an idol. And I understand why. When they see that cross, they remember all of the things God had done for them and this church when they were in the other building before this building was built. And I mentioned one time about maybe taking that cross down putting up a center screen. That's a mistake. I don't have the connection with the other building. I don't have the connection with the history of this church. And I know for a fact that that cross being on the wall doesn't save people. Okay? We're saved by faith in Christ. And when I said, maybe we'll take it down, I made somebody cry. Just so you know, and just so you're, you're calm, I don't have any plans to take that down. None of our leadership has any plans to take that down. None of our elders want to take it down. We were just brainstorming. But if your faith is built on what's in this room, besides the people around you helping you grow to Christ, if your faith is in these cushioned chairs or your faith is in the screens on the... If your faith is in the hymns that you used to sing that you don't get to sing as much anymore, Paul might put you in the weaker side of the faith. 
and those who are stronger in faith who recognize that we're saved by faith in Christ, I have to admit I haven't been sensitive. And I think I've distressed my brothers and sisters in Christ. And it wasn't food that I used to be a stumbling block. It was something that people held even more dear. But it wasn't salvation. But Paul calls those of us who are in Christ, who believe we're strong, to sacrifice our pleasure and seek to please those who are weaker in faith so we can draw them closer to Christ. Imagine what would happen if we did this over and over again. Just imagine the person who believes that one day is more holy than all the other days, and we didn't argue with them. We just helped them celebrate the Lord. And as they grew in faith, they began to recognize that keeping one day more holy doesn't actually get them into heaven any better, and that every day can be used for the Lord. But they come to that more mature faith, and they look back at how well they were treated, and how respectful they were treated, and how gentle they were treated when they were immature in their faith, and now they can say, oh, this is how you lead somebody to Christ. Or imagine if the preacher was more sensitive to people's loving memories. And over time, I was able to reveal more and more about Jesus where we realize we can worship anywhere, at any time, with any group of Christians. And they look back and they say, oh man, I'm so glad that he was sensitive to where I was at so he could bring me to more maturity. Imagine if we did that everywhere. Imagine if your preacher did that. Wouldn't they look back and say, I am so thankful that somebody was helping me grow in Christ. Our nation has this real resentment and bitterness division going on. But what if we begin to sacrifice ourselves? What if we start? What if this church in Wilmington, Ohio, starts sacrificing just a little bit? Sacrificing being right, sacrificing having the right words, sacrificing saying the right last thing. Like the last word, that's a big deal, right? It doesn't help anything. It doesn't Win people over to your side, but we want to have the last word. Dallas Willard, one time when he was teaching at Berkeley, he was teaching, he had a guest instructor with him, and one of his students just started popping off. Dallas Willard, a doctorate of theology, doctorate of uh, philosophy, and one of his students just was spouting off, and his guest instructor just was waiting for Dallas Willard to shut down this student, say the right thing, tell the student how stupid he was, and Dallas Willard just said, that's a very interesting thought. We're going to have to cover that at some other time. And they dismissed class. And his instructor, his visiting instructor said, after all the students left, Dallas, why didn't you say something? Why didn't you tell the kid where it was at? Why didn't you put him in his place? Why didn't you say the right thing? And Dallas Willard said, I'm practicing the discipline 
of not having to have the last word. What if we did that because we were more concerned with somebody's faith than we were concerned about being right? What if we did that in a loving way where we would look for the opportune time to teach what is right with gentleness and respect instead of immediately punching back when somebody says something we didn't like or disagreed with? Why don't we make that our practice just for this week? When we hear something we disagree with, when we see a politic that goes against our politics, let's practice not having to have the last word. Whatever you believe about that, keep between yourself and God. Instead, focus on righteousness, joy, and peace. And when the opportune time comes, go for peace and mutual edification. Paul is saying there is a time to teach. He's just saying you got to be wise when you teach it. Because that's how Christ acted. Christ who sacrificed his pleasure. Christ who sacrificed his life. Christ who was even silent sometimes before his critics. He calls us to do the same thing so that we can protect the body and build the body up. And I think if we just practice it as a church, people are going to see our love and see our unity, and they're going to be wanting to be in Christ, and then we're going to be able to teach them the right way. Then we're going to be able to teach them the way of Christ. Then we're going to be able to build them up in a way that builds their faith. And I think it'll start spreading out into the political arena too, where we become peacemakers instead of using other people as a punching bag. Christ did this, and he gave us a ceremony to participate in to help us remember that he became the punching bag for our sin so that we can live in grace, so that we could share that same grace with others. Would you take out your communion? This is the ceremony he gave us. It's called communion. When you take out your bread and just hold it, what we want to do is we all want to take the bread together. But before we consume the bread, and if you need communion, by the way, it's at each door when you come in. If you're at home online watching or listening, um, get out your bread. As we hold the bread and consider Christ's body, we remember how he sacrificed himself for us. He, being strong in faith, died for us who were weaker than him in faith so that we could be saved. Would you participate in the bread? Jesus, we praise you because you have given us salvation, eternal life. You became our punching bag. 
God used you to punish sin. And you took that in our place. We thank you. Would you take out your cup? And remember the blood that was shed for you. Pour it out for your forgiveness. Would you participate in the cup? Christ, we praise you and thank you that your blood covers over all of our sin. The price you paid with your body and blood pays our sin debt and heals our sin sickness so that we may have right relationship with God and a right relationship with each other. Lord, you paid our sin debt and healed our sin sickness so that we would have peace and internal contentment that no matter what is going on in our world, we can have peace knowing that you have solved everything through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. We can have peace knowing that there is an afterlife that will be full of no pain, no sorrow, but eternal joy forever. And Lord, your sacrifice gives us an eternal joy even now that no matter what our circumstances, we know that we are blessed. We have received grace. Lord, help us to share that same joy with others. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Those who are stronger in faith are called to build up the body of Christ so that everyone can have strong faith. We do that by judging our motives and our actions, seeing if we did cause distress to someone else. And we also do that by acting like Christ, sacrificing our freedoms and pleasures so that we can pull others toward Christ just one step closer. We're going to be dismissed from this room, but we're not dismissed from going and being the church. Your call to action this, this week is just to act like Christ and not having to have the last word. Would you record what happens when you hear something that causes your blood to boil or you hear something you disagree with or you even know something is wrong wait practice the discipline of being quiet and trusting God and then see if he doesn't reveal to you the right time to share what is true let me pray for us and we'll be dismissed God we praise you that you teach us how to be peacemakers in the church so that we can go be peacemakers in the world. Would you now give us the wisdom and the strength and the courage to lovingly sacrifice like Christ did for us so that we could be peacemakers in a world of politics. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. We hope you have enjoyed this message. If you need someone to pray with you, talk to, 
or maybe you just want more information about our church, be sure to fill out a Connect card so we can reach out and help you take your next best step. Thanks again for joining, and we will see you back here next time.